Welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful winning woman of color to the show. and welcome to Stimming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. And today we have a really great guest on. I'm really excited to talk to her. Um, you know, I, as we do every show, I, it's another woman of color in the world of STEM doing what she does. And, and, and she has agreed to graciously come on and tell her story. So our guest today is, is Brenda Denbeston. And as we do every show, I first say, hello, Brenda, how are you? <laughs> hello, 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 Dr. Toisha, how are you going today? It's, I mean, it's, it's Labor Day here, so um, it's a day off, so I'm, I'm rested up and I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thank you, thank you so much. I am dialing in from Melbourne, Australia, and it's coming into spring now, so we're happy to see a bit of sunshine about, definitely. We have to talk about it, but I'll wait. <laughs> so so um, as we do every show, uh, we ask every guest. So Brenda, please tell us your STEM story. Yes. So I am a chemical engineer. I have been in the mining and manufacturing industry for over 16 years. And my story started way back in high school when I picked science subjects, maths, physics, chemistry with no idea what exactly I wanted to do when I got to university. So one of the girls in my class was doing the exact same subjects and I asked her, what are you going to do? And she said, I'm going to be a chemical engineer. So I said, ooh, what's that? What do they do? And she said, well, they pretty much make products and run factories. So I was like, ooh, L'Oreal, because I'm worth it. So I was like, yes, let's do do that. that. Let's go into the cosmetic world. So I literally packed my bags. I'm from Zimbabwe originally. Um, Once I finished my studies, I came over to Australia and studied at Newcastle University. And in my third year of university, this is when we do our internships. And when I looked around, there wasn't any cosmetic companies, pharmaceuticals. There was water, food and mining. And I'm from a small mining town back home in Zimbabwe. So it was like, okay, let's just choose mining. So I went on in, a young black girl in a mining town, (laughs) Um, very much out of place, but I actually loved it. There was something so cool about turning dirt into gold Mm. that attracted me and made me stay. So that was the beginning of it all. And over the years, I've had roles um, that are technical in nature from metallurgists um, through to operational roles, people leadership roles as an operations superintendent of a uranium mine. And then I have more recently been a continuous improvement manager mm-hmm. looking after an explosives company's manufacturing plants. So a very interesting, very background there. Well, so I have... Plenty of questions. Plenty of questions for you. Um, first, I really want. Okay, so I think this is funny. Um, kind of funny the way that in which you kind of chose your major because I kind of chose my major in a in a roundabout way. Um, I was in a program 
long time ago um, where we had um, the first day, like orientation, they showed us these, these um, sort of like three minute films of like what um, the types of engineers do. Mechanical, electrical, chemical, industrial. Um, I'm probably missing a couple, right? And so I literally looked at those films and was like, yeah, I don't, no, that's not me. No, no, that's not me. Um, and then when we got to mechanical, I definitely knew I didn't, wasn't, I wasn't going to do electricals because I was like, yeah, that I would probably be the one to like electrocute myself. At least that was my first thought. Um, chemical, I said, ah, I don't, I don't know. I would probably be the person that would like really like put two things together that shouldn't be together. I just knew that wasn't in my car, in the cars for me, but mechanical engineering sounded like the thing without Ooh. a full understanding of what a mechanical engineer does or doesn't do. So I was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so, so, so I relate to your story when, when, when you were saying that that's how you, you picked chemical engineering It's just sort of like, oh, okay, yeah, what do I have to, you know, I'm going, um, I'm going to college. Um, somebody else is going to pay for it, or at least in my case, somebody else is going to pay for it just a little yes. bit. And, um, you know, you pick something a little interesting. <laughs> we'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> you know, it's like, I wouldn't tell, and I always tell people, this is not the way I would not tell anyone to choose your major. It just happened so that it worked out for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. It worked out for me too. It worked, it worked I understand. out for me. <laughs> so, so you said that I smiled, um, Okay, so when you were in college, were you st- and you're in and I I'm assuming in Australia, and you can tell me um, because I mean it's your story. But so was was what was your experience being being a black woman? Yes, so in Australia, um, and certainly look in Australia, there's not many. Um, Africans, in particular, in, Zim, in in Newcastle, which was a little town I was in. Um, interestingly, there was quite a few because I was based at the university. So university kind of has a cluster of people doing all sorts of things. So in the actual university itself, there was probably a handful of people from Botswana, Kenya, um, Nigeria, a few, a few few areas of Africa. So I was able to find a couple of little. Um, pockets of, of, of family, <laughs> of people who you can relate to quite quickly and quite easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly as I moved out of the university life and into the work world, um, there's still a very low number um, of Africans in general in the Australian communities. So I, I took it upon myself to just disperse and, you know, uh, mingle and do things. I mean, I've been to a boarding school um, in Zimbabwe since I was eight, so I'm quite used to being intermingled around. So I just found ways to survive, found friends who I related to, people who had interests similar to mine, and that's what I sort of stuck to. I joined a few of the campus societies. At the time, there was a There was a church that was very active on site as well. So I used to just join them and we had activities pretty much three times a week. So amongst that and studying for my course, there wasn't too much else that I yearned for. So Mm -hmm. um, that explains my my my, um, beginnings in Australia. Okay, so I'm 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 taking notes because I'm I've been thoroughly intrigued by this. Yes. <laughs> so um, so you learned how to network really early on. I mean, mm. in in a sense of because I guess when people say networking, people 
people often think we just mean it in a professional sense, but sort of learning how to how to converse or be amongst other people and sort of figure out like, are these my people? Um, and it's a skill. It is, it's a particular skill that um, I'm not sure that, well, I'll say for myself, it doesn't come naturally to me, but that you had to pick it up pretty early, um, would you say? Yes, yes, you're actually very right. And I look back at my life now and I actually had quite a lot of transition periods. So first of all, that big one was leaving my family and coming um, as a solo 18-year-old into the, into the new continent and having to figure out my bearings. Who, who can I, you know, who's going to be the new family here? Who can I quickly assimilate with? Um, and then I made a move from Newcastle to Sydney, which was sort of like a small town to a big town kind of move again. Now I'm a small fish in a big pond. Mm. I don't know anyone here. I'm new in the workplace. Who, who, who am I here sort of thing. So certainly had to, again, assimilate quickly, find people with common backgrounds, find people who've been where I want to be or who know more things than I do, who can, um, who can connect and enjoy similar sort of things. And then after that, when I went into the, um, the mining role at the uranium mine, that again was a small town of 5,000 people. So that was in the middle of nowhere with people who've come from cities and um, major cities who've come to the small little town. So all of us were sort of dumped in, dumped in a little small pond where we don't know anyone. So certainly networking is a thread that I would say mm-hmm. was woven through all of those transitions. So, okay. So help people who don't necessarily understand what happens in a mining town. Um, yes. Kind of sort of take talk us through like what your job is and sort of how how that happens, I guess. And, and like, so, because I guess I, in my mind, I see it. And I know we have mining towns here in the United States, um, but I don't think that they're talked about um, a lot about what happens in those towns and, and what type of like role you would play in that town as an engineer. Um, and so I think I think that's really interesting and it might be something that people might want to know about. Yes, yes. So uh, this is a very interesting topic because I'm recently one of um uh, a co-author for a book called The FIFO Wives Tales. So that stands for the Fly In, Fly Out Wives Tales. And um, there's about 20 of us in there. My story features, which goes into a lot more detail if anyone's interested, um, about my time as a fly in, fly out engineer in a mine. So typically in Australia, a lot of the mines are remote. So people either have to relocate and move over there or they have to do some sort of roster, like a two weeks on, two weeks off sort of roster just because the mine operates on a 24-hour cycle it's very heavily um, resourced and lots of people are working there doing different bits and pieces so there's they, they need to have that sort of roster in place to to manage the work workplace and my role at that time when I first started I was a, a metallurgist working in the copper uranium um, section of the mine it also mined some gold, so it was sort of like a, a bag of, of, of tricks in a way. So it was very complex and very interesting. So my role there was as a metallurgist, which was a 12-hour role, so it's very much work-intensive. Um, and at the time, I was living on a camp, so they called them camps, which is essentially like a big, big boarding school. You've got a small little 
um, single house, a small, I wouldn't even call it a house, it's a room. So you walk in the door and there's your single bed. Uh, there's a desk on the opposite side of the room. And then there's a toilet. If you keep walking, there's a toilet and a shower opposite each other. So that's your little space. That's your accommodation. If you're a permanent resident, you, you're permanently there. If you are a fly in, fly out or drive in, drive out, then you're there for the period of your roster. And um, there's no cooking facilities. There's just a microwave. So you go into a common dining area to eat your meals. And then they've got little takeaway um, boxes for you to, to pack your lunch and to pack some snacks. So literally you are kind of looked after in that sense, but then you're also at the mercy of whatever's on the menu, which often wasn't that great. So you're waking up very early, four o'clock, four, um, 4.30, getting into the mess, um, which is the dining room, and grabbing your food and then heading off onto a bus because sometimes, you know, this, this site was 10 kilometers away. If you haven't relocated your car, you're getting on a bus and you're going, it's only, it was 15 minutes, but some sites are longer, 30 minutes, one hour away from the, the camp. And then, yeah, there begins a 12-hour day, handing over, going in and talking to the operations teams. What's happened overnight? Have we met our um, production targets? Did we have any safety incidents um, that we need to address? Has the, you know, the process control gone off track that we need to readdress? So those sort of things would be the first order of the day. And then any investigations or high priority things would be dealt with. And then any, you know, normal projects. And I was typically involved with improving the process. So trying to make sure every shift did the same thing. We had four shifts of people that were actually turning valves and managing pumps and taking samples. So we wanted all of those people to do things the same way. So I had to put in place some process control procedures, um, manage some of the instructions that we provided. And, you know, so everyone was essentially working like a, a smooth oiled uh, system. <laughs> so, yeah. And then before you know it, 10 hours, 12 hours has twiddled away. You're talking to the maintenance team about an upcoming shutdown. You're talking to um, the safety team about an you know, upcoming evacuation protocol or practice. So it was quite varied and you didn't really notice too much the days, days moving on by. But yes, I hope that gives people a little bit of an insight of a metallurgist role anyway. On the no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally intrigued and I can't wait. So what's the name of the book that um, you're in or that's coming out? Yes, it's called The FIFO Wives' Tales. So it should be on Amazon, Target, um, Barnes & Noble, any, new, you know, any bookstore near you, online at least. Um, it just came out at the end of August. So it is a fresh one. The FIFO Wives' Tales. The, 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 the main author's name is Yasmin Walter. Y-A-S-M-I-N, okay. Walter. So we couldn't get all our 20 names on the front. So she's she's compiled it and it'll be under her name. But yes. Okay, I got it down. And it'll be in the show notes for people who um, are listening to the episode. And if you want to go to Amazon, I will look for it and put the put the link um, in the Fantastic. show notes so you can, um, you can go there and purchase the book. I'm sure it'll be an absolutely interesting read. So how long did you, are you still doing that? Or are you, you've moved on from there to, to what are you, what are you doing now? Yes. So I spent five years on that mind site. Um, about two of them were um, fly in, fly out. And then the rest of them, I actually lived there. 
And then I took a new role in the manufacturing industry, um, working with the new um, explosives plant. So I moved in 2016 and have been in this sort of city lifestyle, I think, I guess, since then. <laughs> so a bit of a change. A bit. Still... <laughs> <laughs> I think yes. so. So you moved from mining to manufacturing. Can you, what do, what do you feel, and maybe you haven't thought about it, but what do you feel like is the, besides being small town, big town, but what do you think are like some of the differences between the two? Mm. So as a chemical engineer in the two roles, there were quite a few similarities in terms of process control, um, safety issues. I did find the manufacturing industry had a lot more safety concerns. So they've got what they call process safety concerns, which is really um, the likelihood of major, major um, hazardous events. My um, workplace was situated 800 metres from a residential community and in the event of any release of any substances, you know, they would be the first to be at risk. So there's a high, much higher component of um, duty of care for the community there, um, given that there's such close proximity. And also it's a little bit more fast paced because you've got your customer coming in every day and, you know, sort of um, bringing in their trucks, collecting some of the product and taking it down to the mine sites. Um, we make explosives that are used at the front end of a mining process, so um, as well as for construction. So that was interesting being still part of the same sort of process flow, but being at the front end and manufacturing that product. So, hmm, yes, yeah, still 12-hour shifts, still a high focus on um, – uh, process control and a high focus on safety and environment. So quite a lot of similarities, to be, to be fair, but certainly the, the bonus of being in a city, um, being based where you can do a nine-to-five job or eight-to-five, I suppose, um, and return to your families at the end of the night each day. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, you didn't say say so, but it sounds like it was, you know, mining is the way in which you were doing it. It sounds kind of lonely um doing those 12 hours yeah. thing then going back there like you know even even with the two weeks on I mean yeah it's not for everyone and a lot of people do it for a window of time some people prefer it before they get married or into some sort of serious relationship mm -hmm. others it works well because the thing is due to the nature of the remote locations and you know the undesirable work to a point um they are paying a much higher wage over there so the higher wages do attract um, people to come there and stay there, um, despite the you know the isolation and the 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 high nature of the job, the, the heavy nature of it, exhausting nature. So okay, so going back there just briefly. So how many people? You know, were there a lot of women? No. <laughs> There haven't been a lot of women for a whole lot of time. I think, I mean, even in my chemical engineering degree, there was six of us in the class of 40. And when you go into mine sites, you are a minority again, particularly as an engineer, but just in general. There is now a bigger push Australia-wide and I guess globally to, to have more women um, in a lot of these areas. They are trying to get um, apprenticeships, which are essentially trade roles um, open, and they want 50 50% women um, involved in those roles. So things are picking up. But when I was there 10 years ago, 
um, certainly only a handful, a lot of people perhaps in the safety department, administration, um, and then that was it. And then a handful, you know, sprinkles in the engineering department, mechanical engineers. I remember there's a couple of civil engineers and metallurgists. Again, I think chemical has always seemed to have the most women. So there was four out of the 12 in, um, metallurgists who were, who were female in yeah. my department. Well, I think research says that a lot of the, uh, many of the women who are in um, STEM or in engineering in general are in um, sort of, or in STEM, I'll just say, are in the sciences. So it kind of makes sense that if we were to break it down to the type of engineers, um, they would probably be on that side. Um, so, I mean, I'm not surprised by it. I'm not, I'm not even surprised that there weren't a lot of women um there um you know it is a global effort um and everybody's doing their part to see that you know because it's always it's from for me it's not it's, it's never been a matter of skill um i think sometimes we we have bought into the global perception that these roles are more suited to men i can't it's like there's a part of me that says i don't even know where that came from um, I'm sure somewhere, something, there's there's a commercial, <laughs> there's a thought, there's a story that says these are these are men's roles. Um, and this is what, you know, this is what they do. And for some reason it has it has stuck like worldwide. It's like amazing. <laughs> you are so right. And I think it's such, it's it's really interesting looking around and I mean the fact that you've got this podcast to really lift the lid on you know the opportunities that women have in the industry and what people are doing out there is so important I think visibility has been a key um, ingredient that's been missing for some time just so people can actually know what, what happens on the mine site what happens what's a mechanical engineer actually do do they all do the same thing because a lot of people have the, the pre-existing um, notion and the stereotype that engineering is for boys engineering is dirty engineering is just about buildings and and all cars right so I saw a similar gap and I actually created a, a YouTube channel called Chronicles of the Female Engineer um, it's got about 20 or 30 episodes at the moment and it really wanted to I guess yeah bust some myths that are related to you know engineering not being for girls what happens on the mind side what's a typical day in the life of what would you never think of when you were um, thinking of getting into an engineering career? Like I've got an episode on there which said, uh, I think it's called Five Reasons, Five Things You Never Thought About um, Getting Pregnant on a on a Mind Site or something like that. Because I <laughs> I um, got pregnant when I was in my manufacturing role, but if I was in my mining site, what would I have had to encounter? What would I have had to think about? So just those sort of things that I guess no one teaches you and no one, you know, in an engineering degree, it's not going to be high priority to know about those things. And a lot of people are worried about families and starting families. Well, I think that kind of goes back to, so so part of the work that I'm trying to do on the others, on the other side, right, is helping change the culture within, um, within STEM, within engineering, because it is so male dominated. So they don't necessarily give a lot of thought to things just like that, right? And it goes like, for me, when I was pregnant, um, A, I was I was scared, terrified to tell someone, tell my boss that I was pregnant. Um, but I had to go out on a site. Um, and it was one of those, I was, it was, a, I was on a, as on a military installation and it was a new construction site. So there are all sorts of things happening, right? 
I'm in there. They've got chemicals. They're treating stuff. They're like building stuff on site. It was like every everything that I shouldn't have been around. I was around because I was scared to tell my boss that I was pregnant. I'm and I'm trying to mask, you know, morning sickness. At the same time, I'm out there trying to, you know, because I was the mechanical engineer of record on the project. So I'm trying to make sure the contractors are doing what they're supposed to be doing, making sure that, you know, what 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 I actually drew up was actually getting, you know, all of those things happening. At the same time, I'm like, oh, my God, I just need a I need a peppermint and some water. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but oh, man. It was horrible. It was a horrible experience. I just remember going back to my hotel room that night and and was like I can't I can't do this I just I can't do this I can't do this like this um and and but the but the other part of my mind was like but I I don't know what options I have I mean because those weren't conversations you could have because your boss like wasn't going to understand so. Yes. Wow. I, I I felt like I was right there with you on that on that site, like wondering, oh my gosh, what's around here? And you're right. A lot of the chemicals and things that we're around. I mean, I was on a site where there was radioactive chemicals, which are not good for fertility. So you know, right. so it's like I need to tell someone around here. So, um, but it's really about how do you tell your boss in confidence and 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 make sure that if it's not ready to be publicized, then you can make that clear and you provide boundaries around that information because there's been so many stories of people who've said something to someone and then you know you go to tell your boss and like oh yeah I really know that John told me that well you know (laughs) Jason told me it's like oh okay well that wasn't really the plan so it certainly is very daunting um, being a female in this industry we do have to navigate a lot more um, nuances and things that aren't explained to us either by our parents by our engineering you know professors it's not their place really so we are looking more to our peers and to people who've been there done that before us for information and for things to watch out for advice so I, I certainly understand that we, we should be there for to support each other and men you're right things in the workplace culture do need a big shift um, and men just haven't had to think about it like there's still sites here in Australia um, where construction, mainly construction and anything with electrical substations that are very remote, where they don't have their female toilets, like, right. you know, accessible, or they're having to use unisex uh, toilets, you know, and they don't have the sanitary sanitary disposal systems. It's like, really? Like, we're in 2021 and people don't have this? Like, right. so, Yeah. Yeah, and they haven't and had to think about it because they haven't had to think about it, and that's the thing. It's you know, it's it's almost like you can't. It, there's a part of me that says you can't be mad about it because um, we aren't in these spaces in in a lot of ways. But at the other, but the other part of me is saying no. We we should expect better. We should expect better. Like you should you should you know the the idea that there will be no woman no women on this site shouldn't even be a part of the conversation, right? It just shouldn't be a part of the it should be a thought in in every bit of planning for the project that there could be a woman on site. Um, so you have a woman's bathroom, you have a place for you know her to breastfeed. You have you know like whatever the thing is, you have a a locker room so she can change clothes or shower. You just do the things. Because this is what you do, as opposed to it just, you know, not being a thought at all. Um, And then like changing your mind about 
and some and for some folks and your beliefs about what it is a woman can and can't do. Um, because again, that goes to planning for projects. Like you, you've already assumed things. Um, and maybe it's like not necessarily a conscious thought, but it's there in your actions and how projects get assigned, how projects work themselves out and what it looks like to be on a project site. It's all there. Oh, yes. And it needs support from the top because, you know, projects all require budget allocations. Usually when things get cut, you know, it's usually these sort of things that are low hanging fruits, you know, not really required that that will get cut. And so, yes, certainly the top, there needs to be a, a, a high value for women in the company and, you know, a non-negotiable around these projects so they don't get chopped at the first minute. Um, finances become a strain. And additionally, you're correct. Like, this is what we need to be thinking about and planning for well in advance. So women feel included when they come to the workplace. The last thing you want to do is to be to, or, you know, the bathroom is a daily, it's a daily requirement, right? So if you are having to constantly get into a room where there's full of graffiti, it's, it's, it's feral, it's, you know, putrid. Some of the pictures I saw, it's just like, I don't know if I would want to come to that place every day, like the, to deal with that plus the emotional and mental toll that sometimes can be in these industries. Right. It's, it's a lot. No wonder women, you know, prefer to exit. And that's, that's a sad bit. Oh, and that's the, that's the whole other part. First, you know, we have to, we, we, there's this great push to get more women in, but we haven't really talked about the women who are leaving and the reasons why they are. Um, that's a whole another thing. I mean, I, I'm probably pretty sure that, you know, you probably have some stories. I know I have some stories of like, if I were to tell these stories and I were to name names, there could probably be the lawsuits and things like that that could seriously happen to people where whether that's things that I saw happen or things that happened to me while working for other folks, mainly with the men. Um, and those experiences have, you know, they've shaped a lot of things in my life, both good and bad. Um, and they should have never happened, you know, um, and it's, it, I wouldn't say it's one of the reasons why I left in, in terms of like, I was, I left mad or angry. Um, I mainly left, I, my main reasons for leaving was like, there needs to be more women here. Cause in my mind, if there were more women in this space, the stuff that happened would have never happened. <laughs> you know, it's like the more of us there are, I'm like, okay, so you're going to do this to all of us, like all of the women here. It's like, I think not. Right. But because there was only one of me, right. In this space. It, it made it easier for the things to occur because who am I going to talk to? There's nobody here that I, that, that looks like me first off. And there's secondly, there's not another woman in this department outside of the administrative assistant. And like, I don't know if I trust her either. Right. You know, so it's just like, who was I telling? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I agree with every little bit of what you've said. It's, there's so many things that have gone wrong. So many things that need change. And that's really why, like, I um, I finished up my corporate role, again, as a result of a restructure only last month in, in July. And um, the reason I'm now coaching full-time, and I my whole mission is to empower mainly female engineers, but any woman really who's in a male-dominated industry, to step up, to speak out, and to stand out. Because really, we need to realize that, you know, the more we stand together and the more we, we speak about things and ask for change, 
that is the only time that things will actually happen. Like, you know, if it's not a priority for the men, they're not thinking about these things. It's not on their front agenda. So it needs to be on ours. And we need to be in a position to speak up and talk about those things, whether it's in a meeting, whether it's in a, a committee, whether people are talking about projects, right? We need to be there pushing and asking why has this project been dropped? Like I thought this was part of, you know, I yeah. thought we said this was one of our values, right? So challenging, choosing to challenge decisions which are not aligned with what, um, you know, what the policy might say. Let's make it more than a policy. And standing out, well, for too long we've been told that we need to fit in. For too long, men's jobs, you know, oh, it's labor intensive. So this is, you know, suitable for men. Well, let's find ways which are not labor intensive. Like that'll help the men too. Why should we break their backs, right? So it's really about, it goes all the way through. Um, if we can step up, stand out and speak out on these issues, like it's going to be such a better world, not only for you and for me, but for us and our future generations. Man, that you have said a whole word. <laughs> You have said a whole word. I, I mean, I I can't tell you how much it is refreshing for me to have a conversation with somebody who who um, is doing the work. Right. It is. It is. I love what you said about like how for so long we've been told we had to fit in. But like now it's time for us to step up and stand out like, yeah, oh. no, because I think part of what I why I do what I do in this podcast is so that women can tell their stories. Women of color in particular can tell their stories because we haven't. Right. We've been relatively silent on it um, on and not just sort of like the horror stories. Sure. Yet those are necessary from a lessons learned point of view, like what not to do. Here's some lessons learned. I, you know, from this this situation that happened to me, these are things right. You you tell that you tell those stories, but but so that people can know that we're out here, that we are indeed here in these spaces, that we do exist, that, you know, even though there are still there are still people who are still the first and, you know, the first and only like that, that is still a thing, but, but there are others out here who are willing to do the work, who are willing to, to sponsor, to mentor, to be a good colleague, to, you know, pass down those lessons that we've learned. And this podcast is one way to do that and get it out there into the world. So, so the people can know, Hey, it's women can know if you are not by yourself, right. You don't have yes. to do this alone that there are things that um, that I, you know, my story, your story can help them with and help them through, even if it's just a change in perspective of how they walk in to work the next day. You know, mm. even if it's something, you know, just that that quick, it doesn't necessarily have to be like this major life change of, of a thing, but maybe it's just something like a nice little, here's how I handled that situation. Um, and maybe that little nugget that's in one of these, you know, these episodes can help change the trajectory of somebody's day or somebody's, you know, project or um, how they think about their job. And that's why we do what we do. <laughs> so powerful. It's so, so powerful. And people are looking for these answers. And I'm so glad that these podcast resources are evergreen. You know, people can tap in. At any point in time, they can find a nugget that just changes the trajectory of everything. So I agree. I agree. It's so important. So if people are looking for you, and I really hope that they are, once this episode airs, where can people find you? Yes. So I am active on most of the platforms. So I'm there on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram under Brenda Denbeston. 
check the name under the show notes. I mm-hmm. am happy to interact and connect with all of you. Let me know you listen to the Stemming podcast and I would love to be in your network too. Love, love that. And so as, as Brenda said, um, all of her social media um, information will be in the show notes. So as I have been doing, uh, I tell you guys all the time, check the show notes, people read them. <laughs> Good information <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I have one last question for you and it is, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give her and why? So if I could go back to my younger self, I would certainly tell her that it's okay to be, it's okay to be, to make a mistake. It's okay to ask for help and it's okay to just be you, really. <laughs> Um, for too long, I wanted to people please. For too long, I was so scared and wanted to be perfect. And that's the advice I'd give to myself. I love that so, so much. And I think that's the thing that, especially if you were a young woman in your STEM career, that people don't teach you. you this is not this is not something that you learn at university, right? They don't tell you. Um, it's really okay to make a mistake, right? It's really okay to ask the question, all the, ask all the questions, like, please do. Um, it's important. It's almost, it's, it's actually for me, um, thinking it through is like, it was actually more important to me to ask those questions instead of trying to figure it out on my own. I'm just going to ask. And that wasn't necessarily something that was taught to me when I was in college. It just wasn't. I love that advice. <laughs> I love that advice. Would have saved me a whole lot of stress. So it certainly is the advice I'd give myself to go back now. People want to help. Um, it's okay to admit you don't know. And, you know, um, everyone started somewhere. So, yes. All right. So, you guys, check out Brenda's um, YouTube channel, Chronicles of a Female Engineer. Yes? Okay. So, y'all That's check it out. One. Um, you guys go to YouTube right now um, and just type it in. And um, and she she says she has about 20 episodes. So you're in for a treat. Um, may, make it one of your favorites um, or, you know, and then tell a friend because um, we want to get the word out here about it. Because this is just one more opportunity for you to learn more and for um, stories such as ours to get out into the universe. And she's giving good advice. So. What do you what do you have to lose? <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you, Brenda, for just being so amazing and for waking up, y'all. It is six thirty in the morning where she is, and she has uh, graciously agreed to interview at this time of the morning. So, thank you so so much. The joys of being uh, fifteen hours ahead, or whatever it is, of the rest of the world. So it's okay. The future is looking bright, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right, you guys. So thank you uh, for joining me today on on today's episode of Stimming and Stilettos. Um, Also, you guys, you guys know where to find me on all my social media. You can find me as Dr. Tasha or the Nerdy Stem Queen on all almost all social medias. Um, You can go to my website. If you really are feeling like you really need some more in-depth advice, please go to my website, www.drtasha.com and click on um, STEM Consulting. And then you'll see all of the options available and pick the one that is best for you. I do offer a free 30 minute consultation call so we can just talk through. Maybe you're just having a you have a quick question and you just 
you need somebody to talk to through, schedule some time and let's talk. All right, you guys, um, as I do every show, I really just, again, want to thank you for um, being an avid listener of the show and for supporting us. We could not do, I could not do this show without you guys. Um, and right now, you guys, I really, I really want you to take me seriously when I say I want you to take care of yourselves and to be safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stemming in Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stemming in Stilettos.